Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. I think it's important to know as, a, as uh, members of this church and visitors of this church that, that the leaders here, the elders, the ministry leaders, not only do they give up their time, but they give up their finances. Everybody's a tither here at least. Um, but I have been feeling God tell me recently that that's gotten kind of easy. For those of you that have been in the faith for a while and been giving for a while, hopefully it's gotten to the point where it's just easy. You get your resources, you give back to the Lord, and you move on. You know, a lot of people come to me and they say, well, how do you do it? You work and then you do all this stuff for the church. And at some points it gets, it gets easy. David said this, um, David being a king, he came into a particular city and they said, man, that's King David. Look, if you want to give something to the Lord, we'll give you our sheep. We'll give you our oxen. You can give this to the Lord. And David said, no, I'm not going to give anything to God that doesn't cost me something. Yeah. <laughs> I won't give anything to God that doesn't cost me something. When you come into the kingdom, when you come into the church, I tell people in this church, or if you end up in another church, when you get there, give, it should cost you something. It should hurt. You should feel it a little bit. I think that's one of the things that God intends for us, is for us to feel the sacrifice. So if it's gotten easy, not just in your finances, in other areas, you know, I read, I pray, I do those things that we're supposed to do, our, our daily disciplines. But my wife has been challenging me uh, this last week. She said, hey, you need to get up even earlier, wake me up, and we're going to get on our knees and pray together before you leave for work. And I'm like, I already pray. <laughs> She's like, no, this is going to cost you something. A few extra minutes, right? Uh, out of your normal uh, routines, right? And I said, okay. So we did that, and it was really good um, uh, one of the days this week. Then this morning, we got up, and I was already up before everybody, and she said, hey, let's, let's, let's pray. And I'm like, hey, it's Sunday. We're already prayed up. We're going to church. We're going to have plenty of prayer time today. That's what I was thinking in my head, but I tried to be a good pastor and a good leader. So I said, of course I want to pray. <laughs> so we got down on our knees on the side of the bed, and we started praying together, and it was just like God was saying, hey, this prayer thing has gotten easy for you. It's you got to do more. You've got to do something different. So, Ray, I, I appreciate the word this morning. I appreciate the encouragement and the challenge. Um, uh, and before we finish praying this morning, we're, we're laying there, just the two of us, six something in the morning because, you know, we got that extra hour of sleep, so we were up early. Um, and then she prayed, then I was done praying, all of a sudden this, another voice started praying. My two boys had woken up, came into our room while we were praying, and then Nate began to pray with us, my oldest, right? So he starts praying, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is powerful, because he wasn't praying normal prayers like he does over grace. Like, he was serious about it. He was like, Lord, thank you for this, and thank you for that, and thank you for my mom leading worship that we can encounter the presence of God. I was like, who is this? <laughs> 
and, and we were done, and we tried not to like give him too many props, so we got up and started getting ready, and then Mary came to me, she's like, he's never done that before. I thought maybe he, would, he had been doing that with her in the mornings. She was like, he's listened to me pray, but I've never seen him just step out and pray. And one of our prayers is that we get so busy doing the church yeah. that sometimes we think, man, are we, gonna, are we doing enough for our kids? You know what I mean? Are we focused on them enough? Are we so tired because we're doing this for the men and this for the women's and couples night out? And you know what I'm trying to say? We're doing all this stuff. And every now and then I'm like, man, have I talked to Nate? Have I talked to Naomi? Am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to do as a father, not just a pastor? And then for him to pray that way, it was like, God, what you were saying, like, we use a shovel to give to God, but his shovel is bigger. This morning, he used a huge shovel and he just poured it out on my son. And he encouraged me that, man, you give to me. I'm going to take care of yours. So I appreciate your word, Raymond. I really do, and I want to encourage everybody else here. Man, make it hurt. You should feel it, and then you'll see God come through. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in, in this, uh, this season of our church, we've been going through a series. It's called The Cross and the Crown. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We started uh, over a month ago now. We're going to be going all the way through the book of Matthew in a Sunday series. Eventually, we're going to end up at Easter in the spring, finishing the book of Matthew. And we've been looking at how Jesus, um, he bore the cross, but he also bears the crown. We have to know him as both, right? He's the one that takes our sin upon him, and he bears that cross, and he does it like nobody else could. But he's also a king. Somebody say amen. amen. So he bears that crown, and we need to be able to read through the Gospels and read through the Scriptures with that kind of understanding. So briefly, I want to catch you up to where we are. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, we saw the king's arrival. And Jesus comes through the Jews. He also comes through the Gentiles. In his bloodline, there's kings like King David, and there's harlots, prostitutes like Rahab. God is showing us that the king that he sent for us can identify with us. Amen? Amen. He's not just of, of royal blood and a royal line. He also, uh, like many of us, has a, a couple of members of the family that you might not want to talk too much about. Some of us used to be those members of the family. Amen? Yeah. But that's our king, the king's arrival. He comes that way. In chapter 2, we saw that he was the king of all nations. When he arrives, there's these local Jewish shepherds that are just off to the side, and they hear that the Lord has come. These angels announce it, and they're able to go right there and see the child. And it's a, a local celebration for the Jews. But he's also the king of all nations. You have these wise men from the east, from other nations, Gentile nations, who see a star in the sky, and they begin to walk. And it takes them two years to get to Jesus. But he's the king of all nations. He's not just your God. He's everybody's God. So they get there and they come bearing gifts. They come uh, with the best of what they have to give unto this child. And sometimes we can overlook that, right? He's, he's two years old and people are coming in there, bowing down and worshiping him and giving him gifts. And uh, sometimes it's a struggle for us to walk into a building and lift up our hands. It's a struggle for us to, to spend a few dollars and a few hours in the morning uh, to get there and say, hey, we want to lift up your name. But people are willing to travel from nations to get to a child because they knew who he was. So he's the king of all nations in chapter 2. Also in chapter 2, he's the, the immigrant king, right? He didn't belong to the earth. He came from another place, a, a heavenly kingdom, and he's an immigrant who comes down to the earth, uh, and he's, a, he's birthed into Bethlehem. Then he's also an immigrant. He leaves his people in Bethlehem there, and he's an immigrant into Egypt. So I got love for all the Egyptians. <laughs> woo, woo, like my wife. <laughs> couple others running around here now 
But uh, they, they love it. I went to Egypt in 2012, and they have a, a church uh, for Mary, and they have a Bible that they say was floating down through the Nile River. And, and uh, they love to tell you how even when Jesus was born, he came to Egypt to be protected. But he's an immigrant, right? So many of us know immigrants or have immigrants in our family, and he identifies with us that way. Then in uh, Matthew chapter 3, we saw him as, or actually we got to see the king's cousin, Jesus comes and his cousin, uh, John, John the baptizer, uh, sees him and he says, Behold, it's the Lamb of God, look, the one who's going to die for us and take away the sins of the world. And, and Jesus says, I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And we had Gary bring that message uh, a few weeks ago about uh, the king's cousin and this idea of baptism. So again, I'm excited for, for those today that are going to be baptized. Also, uh, somebody came to me and said it's been a year since a few of you were, were baptized. Amen. So you're still here. That's a good thing. It's working. It'd be sad if you got baptized. We're like, man, what happened to him? Where'd they go? Amen. And then uh, in chapter four, we saw the tempted king. So Jesus has this mountaintop experience. He's baptized. The spirit comes down upon him like he has a, upon many of our lives. And then the first thing that happens is this discouragement. The enemy comes. The devil comes. And he starts to tempt him. He says, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. Anything to redirect you and get you outside of the will of God. I know how hard it was for me when I got saved. That next six months were the hardest of my life. Dealing with the drugs and the addiction and the alcohol and the pornography and the weed and everything else that was calling me back saying, listen, I know you had that experience with God. I know he spoke to you and I know you felt like your sins were forgiven. But why don't we just go another route? You don't really need church. You don't really need God. You don't really need people to be all up in your business. Let's do this another way. That's what Satan did to Jesus. He says, listen, I know the father said he's going to give you all this stuff, but I'll give it to you now. Just come with me. I'll give it to you now. Look, you can have the kingdoms. Turn this food into bread. I know that you have power. Jump off this building. The angels will grab you because didn't the father say that he won't let anything happen to you? He won't even dash your foot upon a rock. Satan's main way of trying to get to us is he says, just take another route. It's okay if you believe in God, but don't read the scriptures. It's okay if you believe in God, but don't go to church. It's okay if you believe that God saved you, but don't give into the kingdom that it would advance. And what did Jesus do? He hit him with scripture. He said, the, the word says this, the word says that. And by the spirit of God and by the word of God, he overcomes the enemy. It's the same for us. So we saw that, the tempted king. And then finally, last week, we saw the call of the king. This is when it got personal. Jesus began to call disciples to walk away from and abandon everything. All right? He says, Andrew, get out of that boat. Peter, get out of that boat. James, John, I don't care what you're doing right now. I'm not, I don't care if it's a convenient time or not. I'm going somewhere. I want you to come with me. And he calls him and he says, follow me. I remember when I first started hearing about God, or first started thinking that I might need God, I would say things like, but when I get married, or when I have kids, because then I'm going to need you to, to kind of help us out. Or when I get this, this next job, or this next thing that we wanted to do, and Jesus says, I don't come at a convenient time. I call you, and you need to follow me. Amen. I don't care if it's convenient or not. The call of the king is a powerful thing. Amen. When you hear the voice of the Lord, we should just respond. Somebody say amen. amen. So the example that we got there is they get up, they walk away from friends, they walk away from family. Like Raymond said, they walked away from a lucrative business. It might not seem like much now, but if they had boats, if they had nets, if they had a family business, they were doing very well for that day and age. And they got out of it to follow a carpenter's son who was born by a woman who got pregnant before she was buried. 
That's a huge thing to do against their culture, against their family, against their friends. And that's where we pick up this morning. Jesus has called us, I believe, into discipleship um, as well. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. Actually, I'm going to pick up portions of Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7 as well. Uh, This is where Jesus gives what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. It's not the suggestions on the Mount. It's not some things to think about that were said on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. If you look in your dictionary, what is a sermon? The definition will say, a discourse for the purpose of religious instruction or exhortation, especially one based on a text of scripture and delivered by a member of the clergy as part of a religious service. That's what a sermon is. Jesus is not just a member of the clergy. We're doing a Hebrews Bible study right now, and we see that Jesus is the high priest, right? Not just a high priest, a member of the clergy. He's the one. Every priest, every pastor, every minister that you've ever seen, everyone that you've ever heard of before Christ got here, they all either pointed to Jesus, right, his coming, or now we point back to Jesus. He's the high priest. You don't need to confess to a pastor. You don't need to confess to a priest. We have a high priest in heaven who's better than all of us. So when you read this and it says it's the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just some guy talking to you about some spiritual things. It's Jesus, the high priest, the guy. Amen? Amen. It's not just a discourse on a portion of scripture. That's what it says a sermon is, is, you know, this clergy member comes and he says, hey, let's, let's choose this area and I'm going to give a discourse or exhortation. I'm going to talk to you about the things of God. What we have here this morning in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 is Jesus, the high priest, God himself. He's breathing and speaking scripture out in the moment. What you have penned here and what we have written that we read Imagine sitting on a mountain, it says, he was sitting there, and these people began to come to him, and he's speaking it out. It's not like they're reading a book. Scripture coming by the moment. It's powerful and it's special. So the title of the message this morning is The King's Commands. The King's Commands. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We love to sing all the songs that say, you came to my rescue, and you left the 99 to to find me, and you're my hope, and you're an anchor for my soul. All that stuff is true. Praise God for that. I'm so excited that he's all those things. But Jesus himself says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you love me, come to church. Not if you love me, uh, read your Bible. Not if you love me, try to live a better life. Keep my commandments. That's how you show me that you love me. I said a lot of things to you, and there's a lot of things that I desire for you to have in your life. Keep my commandments. That's our desire this morning. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your commandments. I thank you for your encouragement. I thank you that this morning, when all of us could be in different places doing different things, we had other opportunities. Other endeavors that we could be uh, pursuing this morning, Lord. But here we are. We find ourselves in your house with your people, worshiping you, Lord. And now... I ask that you would just have your word to go forward. Let it not be my words, but your words, Lord God. You can penetrate hearts. You can change and transform people's lives forever in this very moment, Lord. Those that know you already, I pray that we would come to know you more and have a deeper relationship with you, Lord. Those who have never met you in an intimate way, Lord, I pray that today would be the day, Lord God. 
I ask that you would help us, Lord. We know that we cannot keep your commandments unless we have your spirit and we have your power in order to be able to do so. Lord, you've given us example after example of men and women who have been able to do that and how their lives were changed forever, Lord. This morning, don't let us leave out of this place the same way that we came in. We desire to be changed, transformed, sanctified, Lord, set apart. Make it real to us, Lord God. You say that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut us to the very heart, Lord God. Perform heart surgery on us, Lord. Write your word, write your commandments on our hearts and upon our minds. Give us confirmation that you've come to live within us. We love you this morning, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Got a video for you guys, a quick one. You can hit these lights too, Ray. So I just like movies, I wanted to show you something. <laughs> no, the reason why I showed you this, I, I love these movies. These, this one's from almost 20 years ago, 2000, this X-Men movie, because it says that change usually happens slow over thousands of years, but every now and then change leaps forward. So when Jesus calls us into salvation, calls us into baptism, calls us into discipleship, he causes us to leap forward and become something altogether different than what we used to be. That's his plan for us. It says that over uh, thousands of millennia, people change. And I think sometimes that's how we look at our own lives is, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with this church thing and this God thing. And over time, I'm going to change. I'm going to get better, I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to start doing that. And, and little by little, these, these good things are going to begin to take place in my life. What you actually read in the scriptures is that one day you are a certain way and a certain person, and then Jesus comes into your life, and you leap forward, you become something altogether different. It says that these X-Men in this movie, right, that they're normal people, and then something has happened to them, and now they have all these powers and ability that are just completely different than everybody else on the planet. That's what it means to be a Christian. You leap forward. One day you're a certain way, and then all of a sudden you get into this water, and you come out, and you're something different. Your life has completely changed, and I think sometimes what we've done is we've watered that down. I felt God in the middle of the, light, the night last night tell me, stop watering down the message. Stop lowering the bar for people. Because what we like to do, and I'll, I'll, I'll say that I'm guilty of it. But if I look sometimes, everybody says that I'm a hard pastor, but I don't believe that. <laughs> but sometimes I feel like I'm actually too soft where we, we just kind of pat everybody on the butt. Oh, it's okay. I'm glad that it took you six months to change this one little thing. No, that's not okay. Because you're supposed to leap forward. You now have something alive inside of you that was not there before. You can overcome these things. You can do things differently. You can get out of a boat and walk away from everything you've ever known and in one moment start following Jesus wherever he wants to go. Yeah, 
You can lay your business down, not just give 90% of it. For some of us, God is calling us to lay it all the way down. They walk away from everything they have, and Jesus says, listen, you don't have uh, a job anymore. You don't have any resources anymore. Don't even pack a lunch. If I don't provide for you on the way, then you're just not going to have any food. That's not slowly but surely. <laughs> That's not little increments. That's giant leaps forward. I think we're called to be X-Men and X-Women. <laughs> died to our old lives and we're all together something new. And we need to start encouraging one another to do that. That's, that's a testimony of the power of God, not the power of man to slowly change over time. The power of God brings transformation. Yeah. Sermon on the Mount starts off with addressing people as if they're X-men and X-women. You don't have this kind of preaching that Jesus is about to do to regular folks. This isn't a seminar on how to live a healthy and wealthy life. <laughs> this, is a, this is a message from Jesus about how to live an altogether different kind of life. Amen. So I'm only going to look at a few different portions of chapter 5 through 7. The first is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 16. Sorry, Raymond, I didn't send you these scriptures, so you can feel free if you want to try to catch up with us. That's what you said to everybody when you were reading the offering scripture. So <laughs> you can try that yourself, or you guys, uh, lesson number one would be, have a Bible! Yeah. Technology doesn't always work. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, this is Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how should it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Stop there, verse 16. So Jesus starts off his, his Sermon on the Mount speaking to ex-men and ex-women, not normal men and normal women, not religious people, but people who are going to live a different type of life altogether. First thing he says is that his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them. See, what we like to say is, we're going to go to you. The teachers are going to you. The disciples are going to you. The word is going to you. People are calling us all the time. Where are you? Can you come to church? Can you come to a women's event? Can you come to a men's event? Do you want to help your relationship? You want to come to a couple's night out? We have a marriage seminar going on. Our youth are meeting here. No, 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 no. What the scriptures say is those that want God come to God. 
Why are we constantly chasing each other down? It's one thing to chase the lost down, but he's saying, if you're already one of mine and you're a disciple and you see me on the mountainside, you come up to me and then I will teach you. If you're lost, I'll leave the 99 to go find those who are lost and bring them into the fold. But if you're in the fold, you better be coming to me. Shouldn't have to be calling each other to come to church. Shouldn't have to be calling each other to open the scripture. Shouldn't have to be calling each other to say, do you want to be in the presence of God and in the house of God and wrestle with the word of God together? You want to be an ex-man? You want to be an ex-woman? You want to be empowered by the spirit of God? Start going up the mountain to meet with him. I love that that's how it starts. They came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them. Many of us are wondering why we don't hear God. Well, come to him. Come to him. Then he says, here's what it means to be blessed. Before reading the scripture, if somebody would have asked you, especially a non-believer, let's just say a coworker, a friend, a family member, what does it mean to be blessed? What, it, what is it that I should be aspiring for in life? I wonder how many of us would have had the list that Jesus has. Jesus says, this is what it means to be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what we're all looking for, right? <laughs> be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You know what happens when somebody loses a friend or a family member? Most of us are saying, be strong. It's going to be okay. Jesus says, no, you need to mourn. You need to be heartbroken. You need to look at those who have died, especially if they died in sin. You need to be looking at those who are out in the world. If they're dying in sin, you should be heartbroken because of it. You shouldn't be driving past accidents and just saying, man, I'm glad it wasn't me. You should be mourning and you should be heartbroken. If you read the scriptures, Jesus constantly, what did it say? He was moved with compassion. He'd see somebody hurting and his heart would break. You know one of the things that the enemy has done to us? He's just made us so numb to the suffering of others. Amen. We really don't care. Don't lie this morning. We don't care what other people are going through. We feel like, man, I'm going through enough. Why? I don't have time to care about other people. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Don't just feel bad, but mourn and be heartbroken because of it. Blessed are the meek. Power under restraint. That's what it means to be meek. You can do something and you choose not to. You could say something and you choose not to. You know the truth about somebody who's lying and fronting and instead of putting them on blast in front of everybody, you're just meek. You just hold that in. You say, I'm not going to say anything. You have power, but it's power under restraint. When we talk about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he's being attacked and he says, you don't think I could call down 12 legions of angels? He has power like nobody's business. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Even though I could, I won't. He says that's what it means to be blessed, is to have power and to have ability and not use it all the time. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So picture this again. These are people who have come up the mountain to hear from him. And he says, you guys are blessed. Why? Because you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What is it that we're hungering and thirsting for? What is the great pursuit of your life? And how long does it last? Again, I said that the Bible, the scriptures say that it's alive and powerful. Like, you'll never know everything. You can always pursue God. There's always something else that he wants to teach you. I remember when I first got saved, uh, again, I'd wake up, and I was still living with, with a family member of mine. So, again, two days before that, we were getting high together, and now all of a sudden I'm a Christian. Broke all my paraphernalia, and I would lock myself in the room. I'd get up, shower, lock myself back in the room, and all I had was my Bible. And I was hungering and thirsting for it. I don't know how much I understood at the time, but I would spend some days 20 minutes, some days three or four hours just reading it because I was hungry and thirsty. I was like, man, this is truth. This is nothing like what I've been thinking. This is nothing like how I've been living. Amen. And he says, man, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
But now it's been 14 years. Is the hunger and thirst still there? How hungry are we for the word of God? How many people have a Bible with some highlighting in it, some ripped pages? This Bible, I keep trying to paste. (laughs) See? I keep trying to paste it back together. And I got pictures of my boo in here. (laughs) But do you hunger and thirst for it? If you go two or three days and you haven't read, are you like, man, ugh, something ain't right. I've been on Facebook eating this fast food. (laughs) Right? I've been watching Netflix eating this fast food. Man, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me get in my word. Blessed are the merciful. That one's a tough one. I know a lot of us pray, God, have mercy on me. I know I shouldn't have done what I did, but just please don't judge me for it. I'm sorry. Don't make me pay for that. I knew, what I, I knew what I was doing when I did it, but God, have mercy on me. And then as soon as somebody does something to us, are we merciful? <laughs> God says you're blessed if you're merciful. And not halfway mercy. Like, you got to tell them that you're being merciful, Right? Somebody does something to you. Hey, this is what I could do, but I'm not going to do it. That's my mercy. No. (laughs) All the way merciful where you don't even say anything to them. You just take it. (laughs) Blessed are the pure in heart. I don't even want to touch this one. Me and Mary were praying this morning, like I said, and and that was one of her prayers. I'm sorry for putting you out there like that, babe. But she said, Lord, uh, she said, help me with the intentions of my heart. Not just what I do, but actually what I'm feeling. Blessed are the pure in heart. I love this one. Blessed are the peacemakers. When somebody calls you about drama, do you just pour gasoline on the fire? Yeah, you know, you're right. You don't don't even hear what she said. Did you see what she posted yesterday? You didn't even know. Pouring fuel on the fire. Are you a peacemaker? Hey, you know what? I don't think she really meant it. I don't think he really meant it. Why don't we call him real quick? Let's go get something to eat. God says, blessed are the peacemaker. There's going to always be drama, but can God use you to bring peace into relationships and friendships? He says, you're blessed if somebody could say, oh, that's a peacemaker. Every time that person, that brother, that sister gets involved, the situation gets better. Do they say that about you? Every time you get involved, does the situation get better or does it get worse? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. And then the last one, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. A lot of Christians like to be persecuted, but what we do is we do dumb things and say dumb things so that we get persecuted. He doesn't say act a fool and then when people persecute you, you've done something good. He says, no, be a light in the world. Be kind. Be a peacemaker. Be merciful. And then if people persecute you, that's for righteousness sake, not for ignorance sake. So that's his list. And those are the blessings that we should be praying for. In addition to playing, Lord, let me get a better job. Let me get a raise. Let me take care of this. Let me take care of that. This should be our list. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek. Thirst and hunger for righteousness. Be merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted for righteousness' sake. Something altogether different. He says, this is what I command you to be. These are the blessings that we're commanded to seek after. These aren't the typical sermons that you can go into a church and hear in 2018, right? We want to hear 10 ways to a better life. We want to hear the secret We want to hear Oprah say, you're getting one, you're getting one, you're getting one, you're getting one. There's a better life. No, Jesus is like, what are you talking about? 
I'm talking to ex-men and ex-women. They're not concerned with all of that stuff. You're altogether something new and altogether something different. Amen. It's crazy. Read the Sermon on the Mount. I, I encourage you guys. We're only covering a little bit of it, but read Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. Hopefully you have a, a physical Bible because when you do get ready to read it, I want you to see all these red letters in it. Like the whole thing is his word, but you read these three chapters and it's nothing but Jesus talking. <coughs> Last thing I want to talk about it, those verses, he says that we're commanded to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. This morning, Mary and I were talking about Israel and the Jews. And so we started talking and she was like, man, I'm struggling with this and struggling with that. She's been reading in the, in the Old Testament. And so we got on to God's plan. So hopefully when you read the scriptures, you know like the whole overarching plan. But we began to talk about it. And it's, it's God chooses Abram, changes his name to Abraham. Abraham and he says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're nobody. We're going to take you out of your land. We're going to make you somebody. And we're going to make a nation out of you. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob and Esau. Esau takes the other route like Satan wants us to do, circumvent the plan of God. Jacob doesn't. Jacob gets the blessing. Jacob wrestles with God like you and I are supposed to wrestle with God. And then he's changed by God. Knocks his hip out of socket. He says, you're no longer going to be Jacob. Your name is now going to be Israel. That's where you get the nation of Israel, the children of Israel. Israel has 12 sons, one of whom is Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery. They try to kill him. And he's a type of Christ. Instead of dying in this pit, he rises from the pit. And instead of um, his brothers and his family being able to kill him, he ends up saving his brothers and his family when they're about to die of starvation in Egypt. So he saves all these people. They go in as about 70 into Egypt. And when they come out, they, they get sold into, uh, they become slaves in Egypt and they become millions. You know, sometimes when God says he has a blessing for us, it doesn't come the way that you thought the blessing was going to come. Right? When God told Abraham, look, man, you're going to be blessed and there's going to be millions of you, more than the number of stars in the sky and sand on the seashore, it's going to be amazing. He didn't tell him, but you're going to be slaves. <laughs> Some of you are going to be slaves your whole life. You're going to be born a slave and die a slave. So then Moses comes. So I don't know what you and your spouse talk about. This is me and Mary in the bathroom this morning. <laughs> We're talking about the plan of God for Israel. So Moses comes and he takes all these millions of slaves out of Egypt, right? Takes them from being slaves to being free sons and daughters, right? Out of bondage and out of slavery into freedom, into joy. Miracle of baptism, parts the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea. They come into the promised land. And God says, why did I choose you? Why did I build you? Why did I save you and baptize you and make you my own people? So you could be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Your whole purpose of why I chose you is that you can show the rest of the world that there is a God above every other God. Amen. There is one who's more powerful than any other. I can take slaves and have them defeat the Egyptians who are the most powerful on the planet at the time. I can take slaves with no training and have them beat other kings and kingdoms and take their land. I can knock down walls, the most secure wall ever built in Jericho. I can knock it down flat because I'm the only real God. Why? Because that's what she was asking me. Why? I don't understand. Why? Because God says, man, I need somebody to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They're supposed to make things flavorful that people say, man, I need that. That tastes good. And it's making me thirsty. I want what they have. I'm going to go to them to get what I need. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, what he's saying is the same thing that God did with Israel, making them the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now the church and every individual Christian is supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
Is that what you desire to be? Are you salty? <laughs> Are you a light? We went to Israel, uh, Gary and I, in 2012, I believe it was, and this scripture came alive when it says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. We were driving at night. We didn't even know we were right there on the, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee because it was so dark that you couldn't see it. But one thing you could see is there was a city on the hill right behind it. Jesus was literally right where we were, preaching to a bunch of people on a mountain, telling them, like a city set on a hill, you can't hide it. And all you could see is these torch lights, these fires on this hill, and it's like, that's a city. And he says, that's what it's supposed to be like for you. Can't hide you. You're on display. When people see you, they see light. It was darkness all around them, but all they see is you shining. Or do you want to come to church and say, can we get a little bit better today? What are your 20 problems? Let's take one step in one area. No, how about we get changed, transformed, baptized, raised in newness of life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, become salt and light in the world, change forever. Amen. In the rest of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus raises the bar for murder. He says, it ain't just about killing, it's about the intentions of your heart. When you look at somebody and you smile, but you're like, I hate you, Jesus says you committed murder and you're deserving of death just as if somebody actually physically committed murder. He does the same with adultery. He says, listen, it's not just if you cheated, it's if you looked at somebody else with lust in your heart, condemned, deserving of death and condemnation. Marriage. He says, even if somebody did something and that you should leave each other, he says, Moses is that you get out because you guys are so wicked and your hearts are so hard that he allowed you to do that. He says, that's not what God intended. You work it out and you work through it. And you forgive just like I've forgiven you. Jesus keeps raising the bar, but we want to come to church and get into the word of God and change it and say, let's just lower the bar. Be kind in your divorce. <laughs> just be very cordial with custody. This is not the suggestions on the mount. <laughs> it's the Sermon on the Mount. These are commands he's giving us. Sorry for raising the bar this morning, but I want more than anything, those who are being dedicated and those who are being baptized, this is real. Yeah, this is real, these are his words. So after that, when it gets really hard, Jesus shifts the sermon and he says, point number two is prayer. Why? Because they were probably looking at him just like you guys are looking at me right now. <laughs> and he's like, oh, let me remind them that none of this works without prayer. And then he gives them, he says, this is how you need to pray. And we've all learned it, so say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, for thine is the kingdom, or deliver us from evil. Preach it, Pastor. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we all know that prayer. I'm not going to break it down, but read it again, study on it. It's not just something to practice and say, did you say the Lord's Prayer? It's to understand what each part means and to pray it in your own heart and in your own ways. But God is saying, listen, if you think you're going to struggle with the lust thing, you think you're going to struggle with the murder thing, you think you're going to struggle with forgiveness, you think you're going to struggle with all these things, yes, you are. However, if you pray and you're empowered by God, you'll be successful.
you can make it. That's Matthew 6, 9 through 13 right there. I want to cover Matthew 6, 24. It says, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either they'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and riches. I want to focus on this verse because I feel like Jesus is commanding us to choose the path that's going to direct our lives. Are you going to be led by a desire to acquire things? Or are you going to be led by a desire to fulfill the will of God? And this is a big deal in the middle of the sermon. We all need things. Somebody say amen. amen. We all want to check. We all want groceries. Everybody that goes to the grocery store or to get gas, you can't just walk up to the register and say, hey, I need these things, but I don't have any money. <laughs> They're not going to give it to you. So God is not a fool. He understands that we have these needs, but he's saying you got to make a decision. Which is really going to be master of your life? And we know the difference. Is your job master of your life? Is your pursuit of uh, acquiring things master of your life, whether it's education, whether it's a job, whether it's a raise, whether it's a house, whether it's renting or owning, whether it's a car or a better car? Do those things rule and reign over us, or does God rule and reign over us? What, what, who wins when there's a conflict? In a marriage, this is how it works. We look at each other and we say, Babe, I'm first among equals. We are equal because you have value and you have intelligence and you are strong. And then we work together. What do you want to do? Okay, we both want to do this. What do you want to do in this situation? Okay, we both want to do that. When the rubber meets the road is when we disagree on what we're going to do and then you see who the real head of the household is. If we disagree and I as the husband, as the man say, this is the direction we're going to go, then we realize when she says, no, that's the direction you're going to go, and this is the direction I'm going to go. No, you're not the head of the household, and no, you're not the master of this home. Actually, we are a monster with two heads. See, it's the same thing what Jesus is saying here. You've got to choose who's going to be master of your life. You can't serve God and riches and wealth and your own individual pursuits. Because when they're in conflict, one of two things is going to happen. The real master is going to show you who he is. Or you're going to be a monster with two heads. God, I say I'm following you, but this week I'm following my own desires and my personal desire for wealth or advancement or whatever else it might be. When there's a conflict there, Jesus is saying, you better have already chosen who the boss is. Jesus knows it's going to be hard on us. He tries to help us and reassure us. He says, listen, the... The birds, they don't even have houses, and God just provides for them, takes care of them. I know it's hard, but he's going to provide for you too. He says, look, if you walk outside right now, it might, might not be much to you, but you can see beautiful trees and flowers. He says, they're beautiful. And you know what? Tomorrow they're going to be dead. Somebody's going to use them for mulch in their, in their lawn. He says, if God made them that beautiful, how much more beautiful and how much more valuable are you? Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to be all right if you put me first. You need to put me first. Put God first. He says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat and what shall we drink? What will we wear? He says, after all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Just says, put me first. When there's a conflict, let me win. Amen. When you're not sure if you're going to give into the kingdom or Make sure that you have enough to go to the grocery store. Give into the kingdom. I put brothers and sisters around you. Go over there and have dinner. Amen. Just put me first. 
If you're not sure if you're going to take that job in another city when you've only been saved for three months and God saved you from unbelievable things and the church has been the only thing holding you together, wait for the next job three years from now when you're strong enough to leave. Put me first. If there's a conflict, put me first. I know that you have needs. I'll take care of you. He says, seek first the kingdom. You know what I love about the fact that when I got saved that I was broke, dropped out of college, kicked off of a football team, living with my mom in South Central? <laughs> you know what the best part about that was? It was easy to put God first because I didn't have anything. I was driving a hand-me-down busted truck that I thought was dope because I dropped it, put some hubcaps on it. <laughs> But when you're in that kind of place, it's easy to say, God, I don't care. Whatever you give me, you're first because I got nothing anyway. But when you start to get a couple things, then all of a sudden it's hard to put God first. Those are rims now. Those ain't busted hubcaps. <laughs> right? This ain't my mama's house. This is my house. Then all of a sudden you don't want people over. Then all of a sudden you don't want to lend out your stuff no more. When you were lending, lending that 1989 busted truck, you were down. Like, hey, go ahead and use it, bro. I love you. You get something new, you're like, hey, man, you have to talk to somebody else. You know why the Bible says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom? It's because when they start there, it's hard to lay everything down. I was so glad that my life was jacked up and I was on the border of, of committing suicide because it was so much easier to say, God, save me, help me. He says, just seek me first. You can still seek those other things, just put me first. And if you're unsure, if you're putting God first or you're putting the world first, just jump in and say, God, I'm going to go lavishly on you. Whatever you say, I'm doing it. Carmelo and I just got, uh, went to Nigeria last month to build a, a water well. And every mission trip I've ever been on, it's been personally something that I wanted to do. Went to Kenya, went to Egypt, went to all these different places, and it had like this personal thing. This trip, I specifically went for a brother. He wants to build water wells. I said, listen, I need somebody to believe in me, bro. I believe in you. I'm going. Right? And it was very difficult, uh, the trip itself, and just leading up to the trip, and, and all these other things that were going on. And at one point, I was thinking, man, you know what? I'm not even going to go. We're so busy, and there's all this stuff going on. And then I, I got to one of these moments. My, the will of God for my life, or what Vaughn wants to do? And it was one of those moments, you got to make a decision. You know what I said? I said, listen, it's not in my nature. I can't even say this as a pastor. It's not in my nature to put other people first. <laughs> Like my nature, Vaughn's nature is very, very selfish. It's not in my nature to put other people first. So when I had to make the decision, I was like, you know what, Lord? For the sake of just making sure I put you first, this has nothing to do with me or my ministry or our church. This is about you and some other man and your will, your will for his life. I'm just going to put what I want to do and my resources to the side. I'm going to do what you want to do just to make sure that I'm not becoming what it is that I tried to not be when you saved me. How many of us on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, do you ever come up against it where you're like, Lord, are you master or am I master? And then you have to make that decision to jump and make him master. Amen. If that's not happening to you, you better go up the mountain. <laughs> that means you're down in the valley doing your own thing. Go up the mountain and he'll speak to you. Yeah. Amen. I want to close. <laughs> I know you want me to close too. I want to close with Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It's going to lead us into our dedication and our, our uh, baptism time this morning. Jesus, he's still preaching. You think this is a long message? This is only a little bit of what Jesus preached that day. Jesus is still preaching, and he says to this, this group of people, 
Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. He closes his Sermon on the Mount saying, this isn't one of many ways. This is the only way. Jesus says, listen, I don't care if somebody tells you there's an easier way. If there's other types of blessings, if there's another way to live, he says, they are lying to you. That is a wide gate. It's going to lead to destruction. You're not going to find life. You're not going to find hope. You're not going to find peace. You're going to find something temporary that when it really gets hard again, you'll be right back where you are today. He says, what I'm telling you is a narrow gate and it's very hard to enter into it, but it's the only way. It's the only way. Not incremental change. Not following me a little bit and then going back to do what you want to do. It's get out of the boat and walk with me. And as I walk, keep walking with me and don't go back. He says, if you put your hands to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of me. If you won't take up a cross and be willing to die like I'm willing to die, you're not worthy of me and you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to give everything like I'm willing to give everything, you haven't really understand what salvation is. I wish that there was a, sometimes I wish there was a different gospel that we could tell people. Sometimes I wish I could tell people that uh, if you give everything to God, your life is gonna get better and easier. My, my experience was it got worse before it got better. And I know people that it never got better for. I know brothers that, that gave their life to Jesus and still died in alcoholism. I know people that, that were saved and doing the will of God. You heard Pastor Ben talk about it and then they get drugged too much and die or they get shot and they get killed or they go into the mission field to do something for God and they never come back. It doesn't always get better. I've been telling the church about this Fox's Book of Martyrs and all these people, they just keep dying and dying. It doesn't mean it's going to get better. But there's no other way. You know what's hard? It's hard to answer the call of God into salvation. It's hard to get baptized. You know what baptism is? Amongst other things, it's saying, I want everybody to know that who I used to be is going in that water and who comes out will never be the same. Don't talk to me the same. Don't look at me the same. Don't write me the same things. Don't text me the same things. Don't post that stuff on my Facebook because I'm not going to be the same person. I already know it. God already knows it. But I want everybody in the world to know it. That's hard to do. It's much easier to not tell anybody that you started going to church. <laughs> everybody can treat you the same and nobody holds you accountable. You know, to be a disciple is hard. You're going to let somebody else tell you what to do? Jesus would just start telling people what to do. These, these men fish their whole life, and then a carpenter who knows nothing about fish says, hey, you're fishing the wrong way, cast your net on the other side. When everything in their being, all of their experience says, this is the way to do it, and he says, no, you're doing it wrong, do it the way that I'm telling you to do it. That's hard to enter into. That's why he says, hey, it's a narrow gate, and there aren't many people who are willing to walk through it. You know what's harder than getting saved, being baptized, and being discipled? Providing salvation. Imagine how hard it is for God to actually make a way to forgive you of your sins. Imagine how hard it is for God to actually wash your sins away and to make you go in one way and come out another. 
Imagine how hard it is for God through discipleship to impart his Holy Spirit into such a wretched man or wretched woman like you and I are. If you think about what he's doing, instead of trying to find another way and get out of it, you'll just jump into it. You're going to save me and forgive me of my sins? You saw what I was doing yesterday? And still you're going to take all that away, pick it upon yourself? You're going to wash me? When I didn't get dirty like this on accident, I did it on purpose, and you're going to wash me clean? And then you're going to put your Holy Spirit in me. I love the church. I love what God offers to each and every one of us. But we got to stop watering it down. It's an honor to enter into a relationship with Jesus. We haven't done anything special. He's done all the hard work. He's done all the heavy lifting. When you come to see it for what it is, I believe that people will be running into the kingdom. And if we begin to be salt and light, I believe people will be running into the kingdom and we can stop begging people to be blessed. We can just offer them what Jesus and his word offers them. Isaiah, would you come? <clears throat> in a minute here, we're going to uh, have a special dedication and have a special baptism. But before we do that, like Jesus, I want to give everybody an opportunity to, uh, to just dedicate our lives to him. You know, <clears throat> Jesus says that he, when he came, he didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He didn't come for a pretty church, he came for broken people. He didn't come for those that didn't need forgiveness, he came to forgive people. I don't care what any church tells you. I don't care what any man or woman tells you. Every person that's come into a relationship with Jesus was jacked up when they did it. They might have looked okay on the outside, but inside they were dead. No life in them, no love in them, no spirit in them. And he just makes this call to us. He says, I can change that. <laughs> Remember that guy that you thought was going to change that? Didn't work, right? Remember that girl you thought was going to change that? Remember how much faith you had in your parents and they lost it? Remember how you thought, man, when you have kids, somebody's really going to love you and that changed too? Remember how nothing has gone the way that you planned for it to go? He says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. I came for you. I love you. You don't have to hide who you are for me to love you. I already know who you are and I love you anyway. How much do I love you enough to come down out of heaven and come and get you to tell you that I love you? But one thing Jesus always does is he's not just going to save you because he wants to save you. You have to ask to be saved. This man came to him. He said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, okay, well, you need to follow the commandments, honor your mother, honor your father. He said, oh, I do all that. He says, oh, so you've already taken a couple steps. Now let's, let's get down to business. He says, I want everything. What do you mean you want everything? He said, you got to sell everything you have. You got to walk away from all your riches. You got to walk. You got to get out of that relationship. You got to stop depending on mom and dad. He says, you got to get rid of everything and come with me. Follow me. And then the guy says, that, that cost is too much. And he turned around. He walked away. And then the scriptures say what? That Jesus ran after him. But I really love you and I really want you. No. Jesus kept going the way he was going. He said, disciples, come on, let's go. The scriptures are hard when you really read them. When he calls, you have to go. 
Would you bow your heads for just a second? I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. One, I want to give you an opportunity to, to just listen for the, the call of God, the Spirit of God. If He's knocking on your heart, if He's speaking to you this morning, I don't want you to, to be discouraged by the enemy. I don't want you to be focused on your neighbor, your friends, your family, whoever it is. There's nothing more important than the moment where Jesus is calling you and you have an opportunity to say, yes, Lord. The Bible says that he will send his spirit to live inside of you, but you've got to make a decision to ask him for forgiveness, ask him for salvation. In the scriptures, we see that happening in the very moment. And we see it happening days and weeks and months later in people's lives. But he is faithful. He says, if you give your life to me, I will send my spirit to dwell within you so you will know that you're saved. You won't have to hope about it. You won't have to live on somebody else's experience. You'll know it for yourself. But first, you have to make a decision. If today's your day, if this is your moment, not because you hear my voice, but you've been hearing God, you've been feeling God. Maybe it's been happening for a while. Maybe it just started this morning when you came into this place. But you know God wants you. And you want God. Would you just raise your hand? You want to be saved. You want to be forgiven for your sins. You hear God calling you and you actually want to get out of your boat. You want to keep following him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let today be your day. Come into a relationship with him, not into a relationship with church. Salvation. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else want to be saved? Hallelujah. I see you, sis. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hand down. We see you. Anybody else this morning want to join our sister? Come in one way and go out another. Man, it's a narrow way, but it leads to life. Everything else leads to death and destruction. Anybody else? We're so grateful for you, sis. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, Lord. So if you are saved, you can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, but I want you to pray with me for our sister. Lord, we thank you for her. This morning in this very place, what we've been a part of, we've been closely within feet of her, Lord. You've been calling her. You love her. Your word says that you know the number of hairs on her head. You've known her when she was being formed in the womb, Lord. You have plans for her. You have a purpose for her, Lord God. She's going to spend eternity in heaven with you. She's going to come to know more about you and more about herself than she could have ever imagined, Lord. You have blessings and a plan and a purpose for her, Lord God. I thank you that we get to be witnesses this morning. There's nothing more important than seeing somebody come out of death and into life, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord. We get to see so much in this world, but nothing like this, Lord. Remind each and every one of us where we were when you found us, what we were going through when you found us, the trials and the tribulations, the season of difficulty that came because of the decision that we made, just like she made this morning, Lord God. I pray that you would send brothers and sisters around her to help her when the enemy comes, just like he did to you, Jesus. You were baptized. You were filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit descended upon you and remained upon you, and then the enemy immediately came trying to discourage you, Lord, and tempting you. The same thing we know is going to happen to her, Lord, but protect her. Place a hedge of protection around her. Send people that will care more about what she's going through than what they're going through, Lord God. Place a family around her, not just a blood family, but a family of faith, Lord. This is why you've given us the church, not a place to go and give money to, not a place to go and gather and sing songs, but a place where we can find strength, a place where we can find support, Lord God. 
a place where we can find redirection, Lord. Others to remind us to trust in your word, Lord. We pray that you would fill her afresh, fill her anew, confirm her salvation for her, Lord God. Bless her family, children, Lord. Every area of her life, Lord, just begin to change it and transform it. Let her be an ex-woman, truly, Lord God. Who she was when she came in, let that person be gone. Raise her in newness of life, Lord, and give her a joy and a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord. Hallelujah. For the rest of us who are here, I'm going to ask everybody just to stand for a second. I want to open the altar for just two minutes. We're going to do this quickly. You've got to come. If there's something that God spoke to you, you want prayer, we have a prayer team that will pray for you. But for two minutes, the altars are open. What I want to pray for is those who are willing to go up the mountain. Maybe you've been uh, following God but falling at a distance. The scripture started this morning with saying, He sat on the mountain and they came up to Him. I pray that you would come to the altar, come up to the Lord, and that God would begin to speak to you, begin to solidify whatever it is that he shared with you this morning. We just want to pray with you for just a moment. If God's doing something in your life, if you have a need, if you have a prayer request, it doesn't matter what it is, but you've got two minutes. The rich young ruler came to the Lord. He said, follow me now. When he decided not to, Jesus was gone. <laughs> for just a moment, if there's a need, if God's speaking... If there's a desire, would you come so that we can pray with you? I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.